Well, we are wrapping up our series. It comes to a close, this series that we've called How Happiness Happens, and it's been seven weeks long. Has it felt long? The answer is no. Okay, we needed the nine, I needed it from the 9.30, I need it from the 11. Uh, this is when you, st- you know, stand up and chant more and more, keep it going. But it's been great, seven weeks in four letters. Uh, we said from the beginning, this is Paul in chains in a Roman prison in a place called Philippi in northern Greece, and he's writing uh, these words, and he was his ambition, as he said in Romans 15, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been preached, and uh, this was his way to get to Rome. It took prison, it took chains for him to get to the palace guards and to be able to share the gospel with some of the most important people on the planet. Paul himself was one of those, as history would share, uh, tell us, but uh, he was one of those people, and so in these letters, we've looked at all these components of, of happiness. And so we're going to end here today with one verse. And all, I think all of these weeks we've looked at multiple verses. Daniel uh, Wagner threw up several last week in my absence as he, as he brought a strong word uh, from Philippians 4. And I'm just going to have us look at one verse from this uh, letter, the end of Paul's life, uh, a, a letter of gratitude. He's saying thanks to people. And he, he's filled with joy, uh, these close relationships. By the way, Every uh, element of research uh, shows us that, that our happiness is always connected to the extent of the health and vitality of our relationships. But today, there's a really important area that we need to talk about, that you need to hear no matter your age, no matter your background. And it comes to us from Philippians 4:19. And in, in a minute or two after this passage, it's going to be easy for you to throw up your guard of defensiveness and to question my motives. Isn't that terrible to think about that you would come here today and question my motives? But uh, today as I preach, I want you to keep this in mind. This is not something I want from you. It's what, it's what I want for you. Uh, I have one of my kids in the room today. I want it for him. My other two kids, I'm going to text them and say, hey, watch the sermon today. Uh, not out of vanity, but I just, I want them to, I want them to adopt this. I want them to embrace this and to know this because it's the way to happiness and it's the way to freedom. Uh, Philippians 4, 19, Daniel left off uh, talking about, hey, I've had a lot. I've known abundance. I've known plenty, but I've also known scarcity. I've, I've known lack and I've learned to be content in all things. And here he says um, in verse 19 of Philippians 4, I bet some of you know it, it's a coffee cup verse, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When Paul says my God, it's not personal, he's not doing this like my God, like mine. He's like my God. It's intensely personal but not private. It's like when David said the Lord is my shepherd. He's not he didn't say a shepherd or the shepherd. It wasn't a distant deity cold and aloof from the affairs of man. He's saying, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I have seen him feed and protect me and guard me. I've seen him provide for me. And let me tell you about my God. And I think it's the same, a couple thousand years later, I think it's the same passion and energy and principle that Paul is bringing. Hey, my God, let me tell you about my God. I've seen it happen. By the way, the best sermons, I don't know, I'm not promising today's gonna be any good, but the best sermons always come from someone who's lived, they've lived the life. They've walked it and they've seen it. And here Paul is preaching the sermon to the people that he loves in this final thank you. And he's saying, my God will, there's a future orientation to this. My God will, why did he say will? Because he's seen it in the past. He'll supply all your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. All of us, I said this at 9.30, all of us live this internal wrestling match to some extent between these two competing forces, between enough versus not enough. 
It doesn't matter your uh, status economically. You could be, you know, started from the bottom, now you're here. You could be here. You could be high. You could be elevated and got some swag. But you, you're in a battle uh, like everybody. Is this enough? Is this not enough? We'll talk about this in a minute when we talk about three different mindsets that we can have. But uh, there's this battle between enough and not enough. And how do you feel today related to this? Do you, do you come today saying, hey, I've got enough? Or do you feel today scarcity? Quoting from last week, Philippians 4, 11 and following, are you in abundance today or is there scarcity? Do you have enough or do you feel like you don't have enough? And let me just say as a pastoral moment, a point of theological truth, and this is my pastor's heart coming out wanting to minister to somebody today. If you're in that place of scarcity, if you're in that place of I don't have enough and I don't know how this is going to happen, can I just say that's the very place God can meet you? That's the very, very place that God can meet you in. Economists talk about something I've been reading about lately uh, called the uh, K-shaped recovery reality. The K-shaped recovery reality. This line here uh, represents to the left of the K is the baseline. And then up this, this part of the letter is those after the pandemic. Uh, and by the way, there's a strong uh, percentage for that a forecast for recession and inflation. So we got something else that we all got to get through. But after the pandemic, they're talking about how certain sec sectors, industries, and areas are uh, moving forward. They're on the top side of this, that they're actually doing well and moving in the right direction and prospering. And then there are those industry sectors and areas of our economy uh, related to the pandemic, no matter what, they're not doing as well and they're trending downward. And this can be us too, related to the individual, related to your life. I mean, I don't know how much you care about the people around you, but you certainly care about you. So where are you uh, on this today? Are you trending in the right direction? Do you feel like there's plenty? Do you feel like you've recovered and you're moving in the right direction? Or do you feel like, hey, things aren't going well at all? And I just, I'm, I, my life is not moving uh, in the right direction. There's a reality one writer calls economic atheist. Very brilliant concept that I want to put in front of you today. An economic atheist, uh, you could probably derive this from the two words on the screen, but an economic atheist is someone who believes in God. This person, this man or woman probably comes to church. They pray. They might read their Bible from time to time. They could um, engage in quote-unquote Christian practices and lifestyles, whatever uh, that might mean. They, they would say to you, if, if on a survey or if you uh, approach them face-to-face, -face, they would say, I believe in God. I believe in God of the Bible. I believe in Jehovah. This is, I believe in God, but they live in a way that says economically that God doesn't exist. They give God certain areas of their lives, but they don't give God this all-important area. There are um, fences that God gives us. I want you to consider some passages of old, and we're going to connect this to Jesus, um, the central figure of human history and the one we worship. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt. I'm reading from Leviticus 18. You'll see it. You must not do as they do in Egypt. And by the way, pause here. Come back to me for a second if you're able to. Uh, this is the heart of God. Even though it's distant and there's, there's uh, what's coming is uh, certain civil and ceremonial rules and rituals and stuff. The heart of God from the beginning has always been, I want you to live different. And do not get caught up in the world's way of doing things. He says, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. I have delivered you, he says. 
You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. God is saying, and this has always been true. God is saying, because I love you, I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. Uh, I was in Africa this past week for really 10, 11 days a couple of days of travel, but there was this little bitty uh, sheep, a little lamb, and it was the most vulnerable life I had ever seen. It was just crying out, and the mom and the other sheep were, were uh, what I considered ignoring it, but they weren't producing milk in that moment. The sheep was just crying out. I'm like, somebody do something. Somebody do something. So I talked uh, these guys who speak another language into going to the store and getting some milk, and so we bottle fed uh, we bottle fed this little lamb. I'm like, man, we got to get it some new, it's, it's on the clock here. And then later the next day, uh, the locals there told me that uh, a dog came in and killed it that night. And isn't that terrible? Um, <laughs> anyway, just ate it up, just devoured the little lamb. So some stories don't always end good. Just terrible. I mean, it broke my heart. But uh, a shepherd protects. So a good shepherd's going to protect and is going to say, hey, for us to have life, for um, y'all come back. I'm sorry. I'm so I didn't do that at 9:30, and I regret it. But uh, <laughs> take that out of the online church segment. But uh, true story, Allison. Have you heard? Yep. Um, but that was my heart as a as a human. I'm like, man, we got to save the little lamb. Um, circle of life is brutal. But God is saying, stay stay on this side of the fence. Stay on this side of the fence. The temptation is for you to live outside of my protection. And you know, that's been in the heart of uh, all of us. It, you can be a young college student thinking about your future. You can be someone like me, a little bit older than a lot of people in the room. But it's true of all of us is that God is like, here's this land where I want you to live. And I want you to stay within my realm. I want you to stay on this side of the fence. But there's something about us and economic atheists do this. We're like, God bless me. God, give me the new job. God, give me the promotion. I'm starting this business. I've got this new financial endeavor and I want you to bless it. But you've never considered, really considered or practiced getting inside of God's fence and doing things according to what God says about money. Don't you find that a little odd? You, know, you may not even be a Christian or person of faith. Maybe you're just here today, uh, just kind of skeptical and listening. But don't, don't you even find that odd that we would talk to a God to, and ask him to bless us be unwilling to do what he says in this important area. And so just let that lean on you a little bit. And so here are, I want to give you two fences this morning that God gives us in his word, though ancient, I think they're true, uh, true to us today. And the first one is to live inside your budget, to get behind the fence of your budget. And all those words are important. You may want to circle the word your budget because your budget is different than the person on, sitting on your row. Your budget needs to be yours, but live inside your budget. In this passage in Leviticus, God gives us three different people. See if you can identify them. And he tells all of them to live inside of their budget that's specific to them. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's heart for the poor. As a church, we must have a heart for the poor. It doesn't matter your political party. We must have a heart for the poor. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, 
your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. These words, if you're listening online later this week, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 13. Here we see the landowner, we see the workers, and we see the poor slash foreigner. And God is saying to each, just like he's saying to us this morning of different economic um, background, different economic realities this morning, he's saying to the landowner, your fields are enough. He's saying to the workers, your wages are enough. He's saying to the poor and to the foreigner, the leftovers, believe it or not, can even be enough. We need to live within within the fence of a budget. Now, let's just acknowledge something. I really got a, a really a could feel it was palpable at the 930 service. But how many of you like the word budget? I mean, is that one of the best words of your life? Do you really? Okay. Can we just pray for this gal right here? I mean, she actually, yeah. But uh, yeah, she just, her husband does not like this. So there we, yeah, I know her husband too. But uh, yeah, most of us, except some really strange people, uh, just don't like budget. We just don't like because it's stifling. It's 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 a fence. It it, it it's a it's a straitjacket. It holds us in. But God is saying in this passage, all of you have a budget, and they're different. But live in your budget. When I was about your age, right here on the front row, I heard a man named Bill Bright in Dallas at a, the Lowe's Anatole in the ballroom, the founder and director of Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, he would say to us as young people, he said, uh, "Here is a way to budget," and it's kind of. Uh, it's gained steam based on biblical principles and sound financial advice. It's called the 10-10-80 rule. Uh, give, save, uh, and live. A very famous pastor in Atlanta just preached this a few weeks ago. Give, save, live. 10-10-80. Give 10 off the top. Then save 10. And then live on 80. This is based on what the scripture teaches in many places. And if you're already putting up your defenses for an argument, we'll, I'll fight with you at the very end. Um, but God says, give 10 off the top, the very first. When Susan and I invite people over for dinner, it's a real joy to do that. And we always cook something for our guest. Or lately, we go to Hungry Goat and we buy it because Susan, you know, we got kind of an empty nest and she's tired of cooking. So, uh, but we, we, we get food or cook food and it's waiting on our guests and it's the first time that it's been served. What do we do? We do what y'all do. After the guests leave the next day, we eat leftover, we reheat that food, but we have never in 26 years of marriage invited anybody over and given them leftovers. We've never had somebody come over and say, oh, you know, we had this last night, but we're just kind of throwing some things together. You only do that to family you don't like mostly, Right? <laughs> But I mean, you know, if you do that to a guest, you, you, you don't even have the guest. You, you know what I'm saying. And so God is saying, I don't want your leftovers. He's saying as an act of worship, give to me first. But what, what do we do? We live. And then if we have any leftover, we save. And if we have any leftover after that, then we give. And God is saying to us, you're living outside the fence. You're living on the wrong side of the fence where I am powerless to bless you. But I want you on this side of the fence. And let me tell you, and we'll get there at the end. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher. Y'all know that. But at a couple of points this morning, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm getting close. 
So hear the whole sermon before you judge me, okay? But God is saying, you live on this side of the fence and see how I can bless you. But I am powerless to bless you if you live your way. In the scripture, remember we're talking about how happiness happens. Paul, in Acts, when he was saying goodbye to the, to the elders at Ephesus, he says this, it's more blessed. And he says before this, he says, remember what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you're going to be happy, you can't be a taker. A friend of mine, a guy I know, Josh McDowell, wrote a best-selling book a couple of decades ago called Givers and Takers and Other Kinds of Lovers. And God has called us to not be takers or other kinds of lovers, but to be givers. And the happiest people are the people who give. And I don't know anybody that becomes a gift that drifts into giving. Now, you may go somewhere to a fundraiser event. You may hear a patriotic number or song, or you may get chills as an orphanage is raising money, and you may emotionally give to that cause, but nobody I know just drifts into giving like, you got to have a plan to become a giver. And it's a thrill. Can I tell you by personal testimony, we practice what we preach, and it has been 26 years of a thrill in our lives, and no other area will invite God's blessing into your life like this one. I'll stand by that and debate it with anyone later. Paul, oh, I'm sorry, Proverbs would say this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. They'll be refreshed themselves. Generally speaking, if you live behind God's fence and you do things his way in this important area, you will be blessed. I know there's existential pain. I love it in the Bible when it talks about, you know, uh, Psalm 73 and other places. Oh, you know, the evil are prospering. There. That exists. That exists in our world. I, we're not saying it doesn't. We're saying, generally speaking, you'll want to live behind God's fence, not outside of his ways. A second offense that I want to give you this morning from Scripture is beyond just living within your budget is to honor the economic cycle, to honor what God has built in to his creation. So what has God built into his creation? Let's look at this passage again. We're going ancient. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, Regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must, not, it must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. What do we see in this passage from old, from Leviticus? In this passage, we see what God has built in. Now, if you read Leviticus 18, Leviticus 19 later on your own, you're going to want to email me or somebody you know, or check out a commentary because it's going to bring up a lot of questions about a lot of stuff that doesn't seem pertinent to our lives. Remember the Old Testament, there's civil and ceremonial laws, there's dietary customs, there's things that don't apply to us today, but there's stuff that does apply to us. They're universal or transcendent principles. Like remember the stuff talking about don't steal, don't lie, uh, don't disregard the poor, uh, don't be a fraudulent person. Like wouldn't you agree with me this morning, even if you're a Christian or not, wouldn't you agree those are things that our society needs? Like those, when God said it back then, he he means it for now as well. So that's true, but what God built in, just like with the Sabbath, uh, he built this in to our world today to sow, to grow, and to harvest. And it's, this is what this looks like biblically. Now, we're in an information industrial type of world that we live in, not agrarian like the uh, Old Testament, like the New Testament. But uh, sowing is, you can think of it like plowing and planting. Many verses talk about this. Growing, uh, weeding, and waiting. By the way, I saw a football player over here, a retired football player 
over here at the 930 that was like, he, he started smiling at grow weed. And uh, that's not what we're preaching here at Fondren Church. We'll talk about growing weed at a, another Sunday. But uh, growing here is weeding and waiting. Weeding and waiting. A harvest is reap and reward. Now, of these, what, uh, what do you like best? Of understanding God's cycles, of the phases of life, which one do you like the best? Everybody. Harvest. Let's talk about it. Because harvesting, as it says, is reaping and rewarding. In fact, let's be honest. Um, this is what we want. And you know what? Visa loves it. Amazon loves it. Oh, I want everything right now. And God says, God says to these people, and I, I, again, these aren't verses from Leviticus you're going to put on a, a bumper sticker or, you know, write it on the, uh, beside your bed. But God is saying, just understand this principle. When you go into this land, hold off. So think about when you were a child. When you were a child, you like to think, I mean, your, your parents have all these cute pictures and talk about how great you were and everything. And maybe that's true. But you weren't an asset to your parents economically. Uh, let's just affectionately call you a liability. You're just a liability. I mean, you just take, 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 take. There's no, you're not bringing anything in to the house. You're just a liability. So you get into your 20s or whatever, you start making a little bit of money, start strutting your, your tail feathers and getting all excited like a peacock. And you're just, you know, you're making a little bit of money. And uh, you start thinking that you can have, that everything's a harvest. And so young people, including my own, who will watch this sermon later, I'm challenging you to not bankrupt your life. To stay behind the fence and to understand God tells us at times to wait. When I was in my 20s, in college and right out of college, I'd go on trips and we would like, you know, whatever we're doing, a concert, a movie, dinner, flight, you know, whatever we're doing. And y'all remember this? Um, I'm, let me pitch this to people my age. You remember when you were young like that? Like a lot of these people? And, and like you would like, you'd have to settle up on everything. Like, I paid this for the pizza, then the gas, and then this. And you would fight, man. It would come to blows. And you'd, you'd call someone two days later and go, hey, man, you left me short 11 cents. Can, can we meet up to get that 11 cents? Like, how, is that, like, can I get two nickels? And, and like, you would, and now when you get my age, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be honest, and I'm not rich, y'all know, y'all know I'm not rich. But when you get my age, I'll travel with my friends and we're like, yeah, I got the flights and you got the hotel and we got the, and nobody wants to argue over money. Nobody, I mean, we don't even really care. I don't even know if those things are equal, flights and hotels. And it, it just doesn't matter when you're in your 40s. And if it doesn't matter. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's not to boast. I'm just saying that there's a time in your life when, especially in your 20s, when you need to, in order to grow, to weed and to wait and to harvest. I'm, I'm sorry, to plow and plant and to, to weed and grow before there's a harvest. So you need to understand that there's sowing and there's growing before the harvest. It's not just going to be all harvest, harvest, harvest. You'll need to do what psychologists say we struggle with. And the people who bankrupt their lives with money, sex, and power struggle with these two words, impulse control. And so God's saying there's a fence, and I want you to learn, I want you to learn to be able to wait. But the plan that God has set up is to sow and to grow and then to harvest. I want to talk to you briefly about uh, three mindsets that uh, the Bible gives us. And I, I've taken this from um, a pastor friend of mine. He is my pastor, and he leads an organization called Generous Churches. And he talks about how the Bible teaches there's a few different mindsets when it comes 
uh, to money. The first is a bag mindset, all right? It's all about the bag. Susan would get on to me, but I can quote several rap songs that talk about money in the bag and all that, but she'll get mad at me. Sorry, uh, Lily. She'll get mad at me if I, if I quote those songs, but look what Haggai 1.6 says. Did y'all read Haggai on your way to church? It says, you have planted much, but harvest little. Can anybody relate? You didn't read it, but can you relate to this? You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You're living with this bag mentality. And here's the bag mentality. The bag is, it's my life. It's my bag. And guess who puts the money in the bag? You put the money in the bag. And Haggai 1.6 is true for us. Man, what did you discover? Man, you put money in your bag and it's coming out the other end. And you're never satisfied. It never seems uh, to be enough. And it's your bag and you don't have God involved in this. But look at a different mindset than the bag mentality. It's the mindset of the basket. Scripture says this, the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flock. Your what? Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. God is saying, I want you to live different than the bag. And let me ask you, who puts money in the basket? God. God. Sometimes the answers are really easy. God is the one. You're putting money in your bag. It's your bag. By the way, there's a man in scripture you may have heard of named Judas. And Judas really cared about the bag. My bag, my money. In fact, I got to get 30 pieces of silver in my bag. And let me ask you a question. How much, make it personal, how much money do you need in your bag so that you won't fear? Because the bag lifestyle is a lot of fear. Aren't you afraid when you put stuff in, it goes out? Isn't that, isn't that scary? Like I've lived there. It's, it's a scary place when it's all about you and it's your money and you're putting it in. How much money do you need in order to not live in fear? I know the answer. You're like, preacher, you don't know me. I still know your answer. You ready? It's more than you currently have. But the basket is a whole different mindset. And God is the one who feels it. And when Jesus would say this fa- these famous words, my grandmother used to preach this to me. She's in heaven now. She used to preach this to me. I had no idea what it mean- meant. I looked it up like 30 years later. Give, Jesus said, and it will be what? It will be given to you. It's not a bag. It's a basket. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus was talking to people who had fields. They had wheat fields. And Jesus was talking to these people and there were owners and the generous owners would do this. They would have their day laborers pick up the wheat and they would carry it across huge fields and it was heavy. If you're putting a lot of wheat into these baskets, bigger baskets than this, it gets very, very heavy. So what do you do when the baskets get heavy and you're working all day for not really good wages? What do you do? You fill it halfway. And Jesus is saying, and part of what was happening in his culture, this is important to understand the history, culture, context of any story we get in the Bible. Jesus is saying, or speaking to a culture where the landowner, a generous landowner, the corrupt ones not so much, but the generous landowners would tell their day laborers, hey, at the end of the day, here's here's your wages, but also if you work hard, the last basket is yours. You take home the last basket. So what do you do with the last basket? 
You fill it up. You act like me at, when I was in college and I'd go to 7-Eleven at the Slurpee machine. I mean, you hang out around it. It's like at least a two-minute ordeal because you get in the big cup. Like the big, you're filling it. You're making sure the top is not a flat top. It's like this, and you shake it around. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to live not with the bag, but with the basket. And in the basket, he's the one who fills it. And if you trust him with it, he's going to let that basket overflow. And I just want to say to some of you, we're not going to preach the prosperity gospel in the last couple of minutes of this sermon. But I do want to tell you, I have this sense that there's some people in the room, or maybe you're watching from home. God is ready to bless you. God is waiting on you to do things his way, and your basket is going to overflow. Jesus would teach that those who are trusted with little, who do well with little, they'll be entrusted with more. If you're faithful with a little bit, you'll be entrusted with more. I'm asking you today not to ignore God's way any longer, if that's you. And the last mindset, according to the Bible, is this barn mindset. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will send a blessing on your what? On your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving. This is what God desires to do, to give us a mindset of blessing. He can do it and he desires to do it. The scripture tells us to honor with this barn mindset, to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the what? Leftovers. If you have enough after you've spent, then give some to me. God says, no, 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 the first. It's off the top. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We're a non-denominational church. We can talk about wine here at Fondren. Can I get an amen? This is John F. Kennedy Jr. Susan and I were brand newly weds when he went missing. Remember where we were? Remember this story? And we were like uh, all into this. And, you know, like, is there a Kennedy curse? And, oh, my gosh, okay, his dad was assassinated. One of the most um, remarkable moments in our, uh, tragic moments in our nation's history. And now this. And he went missing. Anybody remember this? You older folks in the room, JFK Jr. was missing. He was a pilot. And he uh, went missing. And the National Transportation Safety Board, the Federal Aviation Administration, would um, uncover. Uh, weeks later, I believe it was, they would say that the cause of this plane crash of his death was not mechanical failure. It's what they called spatial disorientation. And I, I see a couple of pilots in the room, you, you know about this, but spatial disorientation is when, again, no mechanical error, it's a personal error, and it's when your brain gets foggy and you're confused and you think up is down and down is up. How dangerous is that in a plane? It's, it, it's fatal. But for us, if you'll pardon the metaphor, that's the way we're, we live in this world outside the fence where it's going so fast and going so fast we're squeezed into the mold of the world and we suffer from spatial disorientation and we actually think that the world's ways are better than God's ways and we don't know up from down. And we need to slow down and I'm inviting you this morning and this, as we close out how happiness happens to consider that it's more blessed to give than to receive but let's do it God's way. There's only five things you can do uh, with money. You can spend, pay debt, pay taxes, you can save and you can give. And you know what? This should be inverted. If you want to be behind God's fence... If you want to have a basket and barn mentality, if you want to be trusted or faithful in a little and be trusted with more, then you would invert this and you would begin with giving. Has it always been easy for you and Susan to live this way? It has not always been easier. And do you know the more you make, the harder it is?
the heart is, and rich people, a lot of rich people don't tithe. But to give, as God says give, do that first. Then you save. And you've got you to reckon with Uncle Sam. Even Jesus said that to the Romans. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. Some of y'all, God bless you, doctors and lawyers and such. Um, but you're accumulating that student debt. And uh, we're here for you, to pray for you. And hope you eventually pay it off. But these are the things that you can do with money. And God is actually saying, give first. Here's this really cool passage in Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, that test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it in your barn. This is the only place, I bet a lot of you know this, this is the only place in Scripture where we're told to test the Lord. What is a tithe? I only preach on this about once a year. I should do better. But a tithe is because it gets very fuzzy. People think a tithe is a certain percentage. Someone will say, well, I tithe this. And by the way, I don't look at giving here, so I don't know what you're doing. It's, a, it's an act of worship. We have a finance team. They're very trusted. We have an executive a, a operations guy that overlooks and oversees to make sure we're applying principles of generosity and integrity and transparency. But this is an act of worship at Fondren Church if you're a giver. But what is a tithe? The tithe is, is a, it's, it's a percentage and what is the percentage? Say it out loud if you know it. What is the percentage? It's 10%. And in the scripture, 10, the number 10 often is associated with testing. Uh, the plagues in Egypt that, that tested Pharaoh's heart, how many uh, plagues were there? There were 10. The commandments that God gave through Moses at Mount Sinai to test the hearts of the Israelites, how many commandments? 10 commandments. Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 1, was given 10 tests. Uh, to test uh, his devotion to the Lord and commitment against uh, the Babylonian culture there. Uh, how many disciples did Jesus have? Yeah, not 10. I was just seeing if y'all are awake. But uh, the number, number 10, always got to test the 11 o'clock. The number 10 uh, that God uses to test. And God is saying, I want you to test me in this. To start with 10. And by the way, uh, there's a whole thing flooding Twitter right now, and Christians are devouring. You know, Christians are devouring each other, and pastors are apologizing for what they used to teach about the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. And I never enter into this fray. And we have people here who uh, disagree on this. Man, I'm not. I'm not against you. I'm, I'm for you. You're gonna listen. You're gonna do whatever you want to do with money anyway. I I don't know how, what kind of influence I can have on your life. I, my job is to preach what the Bible says through the person of Jesus, and then it lands where it lands. But I will say this, here's what I want to say to you, if you do want to argue with me later, the tithe was instituted 500 years before the law. Then it came to us in the law, and if only Jesus had ever addressed the tithe, can, is there any place where Jesus addressed the tithe? By the way, 4,500 4, got. well let's go back to that if I'm skilled enough with this remote control. Um, whoop. What sorrow, this is Jesus, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees, you religious people who are living by the law and thinking you're more righteous than other people, for you are careful to tithe, y'all got that down, you got it, you're not robbing God, even the tiniest income from your herb guards, like they're doing it all, whatever comes in, they're tithing, they're giving 10% off the top, but you ignore justice and the love of God, you should, you should tithe, yes, <laughs> that's, that's Jesus. You should tithe, yes, 
but do not neglect the more important things. So, borrowing the words of one of my favorite writers, I'll say to you, I've said this before, if you've been around Fonda, you've heard me say this, the tithe is training wheels. It's just training wheels. It's a, uh, my words, it's a fundamental, concrete practice that God instituted at the beginning of time to train your heart in generosity. To train, to put on the training wheels and to ride. That's what the tithe is. And, and some people are funny about this. So what's happening in Christian Twitter now is people going, oh, you know, Jesus came and he ushered in the da-da-da. And he did. Like there's civil and ceremonial laws. Read, read all that stuff from Leviticus. Now, we don't have to apply that anymore. It's not for us. But they're timeless, transcendent, universal truths. And so if you want to bring Jesus into the discussion to talk about, uh, you know, you shouldn't tithe. To me, it's like Jesus is only going to require more. Can I just say that? Because if tithing is the training wheels, then a life of complete generosity, 100% of it's God's, that's the tour de France. For you and I to say, hey, let's, let's do this, but let's make sure that we can go beyond it. And here's what I found. In my life, it's really personal. It's not theoretical. And she and I can tell you that we have seen God provide time and time again as we have practiced this and called our church to it. And I don't want you to miss it. Let's go back to the math. Let's say you make $5,000 a month. I've tried to find a safe number today that wouldn't make uh, too many people feel bad. Um, it's just a guess, but let's say, that's, isn't that 60000 a year? So let's say you make that or you're on your way to making that. You make $5,000 a month. Based on what the scripture teaches, God is asking you to test him. So you would give 500 and basically what you can find from God is that four, and no, no math teacher in the room is going to be like, yeah, preach it, preacher. It, doesn't, it, do, it doesn't make sense. And so I don't have my brain in a bucket here. I'm just saying there's a different way to live. And it, it's not the way the world's living, okay? Hey, e e look at Egypt. Look at that. And it's here. But I don't want you to be an economic atheist. And so 5,000 on your own versus 4,500 with God. And our story is 4,500 with God any day with his blessing. So Lauren and the team are coming up. Some stage guys are going to get these props off so we can worship and close. But I want to say to you so that you don't think I'm preaching some prosperity gospel. Because here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think that you've heard me say, give to get. Because if you read all of Philippians, you'll see that Jesus did bring a new way. And he's saying to us, even though there's this fundamental concrete practice from the beginning of time called the tithe to train our hearts towards righteousness, toward giving, toward generosity. That's not the stopping point. The stopping point is a life of complete generosity. How much of it's God's? All of it, 100% is God. I've got a couple of friends out west, they're reverse tithers. God has brought them so far, they give 90% and live on 10. She wouldn't have it and we couldn't do it. But we may be there one day, but my goal is to keep her with me forever and ever. Amen. Hear the blessings because I want to be comprehensive in this. And we've seen this. The blessings of putting God first by giving first. Time. Things last forever. We've, been, we, we've had some hard times, but we stayed at our giving. We didn't give up on our giving. We put God first every single month. And we've seen things last longer. Y'all should go ride with me in my truck right now. It is a thing of beauty and golden retriever dog hair. 
And I mean, it's a, but it's been paid for eight years, paid off. Fruit, increased finances. I want to say it to some of you. God's ready to bless you if you'll put him first and he will bless you. We have seen this. Business opportunities. This is personal for me. The phone keeps ringing. People call you asking how they can help. Business opportunities. An umbrella of protection. Safety in the midst of a storm. I'm not an economist. I'm seeing some bankers in the house. We had several at 930 that I know. One of them handles my money. Like they're telling me we got a storm coming. Peace. You're able to sleep at night knowing that you have been obedient. And eternal impact. Philippians 4, 1, Paul would say, you're my joy and my crown. You and I have an opportunity through our giving to bring more people to heaven with us. How cool is that? Like if we were charismatic, I'd be doing cartwheels up and down because that's cool. Let's stand, let me pray. Father, let us hear these words and um, let us not read the Bible or engage in sermons like this with the mindset of you want something from us. You actually want something for us to know that we can trust you and that you will, you will provide and you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You have also supplied fences. You've also supplied principles called a budget. You've also, Lord, supplied to us sowing and reaping and wading and growing and watering and planting and plowing so that we can reap whatever harvest you have for us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, stay standing and we're going to sing. And Lauren's going to introduce this new song. So you may not be able to sing the first uh, couple of stanzas. But uh, it's a brand new song. And Lauren and the team are going to sing it over you. Um, hum along if you can't stop yourself. And then in a minute, I'm going to come back up and open up our time of invitation uh, as we pray together.